Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for uh, just the, the fun time we had this week. We thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that in Christ you have uh, set us free, which is, uh, was it the theme of summer nights and is also the theme of today. We thank you that in Christ we have been uh, set free. It's not about religion. It's not about works. It's not about uh, following sacraments or doing good. It's, it's about uh, receiving the gift that Christ uh, provided for us on the cross. We thank you that his death was sufficient for us. Father, as we just prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper at the end of today, Lord, as we work through this passage and focus on the cross, we ask that you would help the gospel to be clear to us, Lord. Father, for some of us have maybe never heard about what Jesus did on the cross. Some of us maybe have known about what Christ did on the cross for many, many years. But we pray that we would never uh, grow bored or um, just apathetic to the cross. We pray that you would help us to understand uh, what Jesus did for us and help us to really marvel in this all the days of our life. We ask that you would uh, be glorified uh, through our time here as we study your word. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions and having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Uh, Father, there is so much here in this passage that we have been working through over the last few weeks. Father, we pray that you would lead us now by your spirit. Lord, help us to understand uh, what this passage says and how it applies to our lives. We pray uh, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, that we would be able to experience uh, this transformation through Christ, which you have provided. Uh, we are deeply grateful for this time that we have with each other, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Now I was going to kind of clear up. I'll deal with those things there. Okay. 
So over the last few weeks, we, we've looked at like two weeks here um, in, in the passage. Kind of going back to verse 6, we see uh, this, this command to, to walk in Christ, that we're to have this, this lifestyle. The, the saints had received Christ. They were to be rooted and built up in him. And the fruit of their relationship with Jesus sort of manifested itself in gratitude, which is beautiful. Then we were told last week to, to be cautious, not to be led astray, not to be taken captivity into captivity by those teaching false teaching contrary to the grace of God. And we were told that in Jesus dwelt the fullness of, of deity, that Jesus himself embodied the fullness of God, that he is completely God, not just a likeness of God, but that he fully embodied God. And that in Jesus, we who follow him are made complete. Um, Paul is battling this idea that that was infringing. Do I not need to walk there? Do I need to stand? My gut was to clear the stage anyhow a little bit because I like to rove. I don't like all the barricades. (laughs) So the worship team can kind of... Yell at me later. I feel more free. Can I go over here now? I can go over here now. Test. Okay. Um, where was I? Um, so, so Paul is Paul's battling these these teachers that were creeping into the church that were trying to to infringe upon grace. Uh, they were they were trying to say that. In addition to Christ, you needed to do these religious practices. You needed to obey the various things that they have established. In the next couple of weeks, Paul's going to go hard against religion, um, traditions of men, and things that they were saying that you had to do in addition to faith in Christ in order to be right with God. And so Paul here today is trying to show the effectiveness of Christ. I've, I've noticed as I've been studying this passage if you're following the news, and if you're not, God bless you, you're a better person than I am, and you're probably a lot happier than I am. Um, but the latest, like, you know, all of the headlines, it's just hard to, to get away from it. The, the latest discussion right now on the subject of COVID, if you guys haven't heard about COVID, it's been going on for the last few weeks. And, and, and so now, like, the big discussion is, like, okay, what do we continue to do? Like, do you have to get vaccinated? Do you have to get a booster shot? Like, what is it that has to be done in order to, to, to make yourself sort of immune to this virus or whatever that's going around? And I'm not getting into that subject, but it's kind of like everybody's trying to figure out, like, what's the magic answer? And people on all sides are giving their viewpoints. And if you haven't noticed, it's a super heated discussion and people are very passionate about what they think. And so relating this back to this passage... So much of this was happening during this time. There were individuals that were questioning, I want to be right with God. How do I get right with God? Paul, this ambassador of Christ, the gospel message as it went forward from the cross was that Jesus, as we sang, paid it all. Your debt was nailed to the cross completely. God's wrath was satisfied in the cross. There is nothing else for you to do. You are saved by grace alone. You trust in his work. And there are others who say, well, you have to do this. You need to observe these days. You need to get circumcised. You need to, uh, we'll see in the next week, all of these religious traditions, these sacred days, these sacraments. You do all of these things. And if you do that, then you'll be okay with God. And Paul is saying, no. 
Your debt was paid in full on the cross. And today he looks at these two things, circumcision and baptism. And he sort of, he's going to bridge the gap from circumcision over to baptism to, to kind of tie it in. We'll get into this. So right away in verse 11, we're picking up halfway through the verse. We've been going slowly through this chapter and we start with, and in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so this phrase in him has appeared multiple times. In verse 6, we see, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. There's that phrase, in him. So if you've, re- you've received Christ, we're to walk in him. Verse 7 says, now being built up in him. So if you've received him, you're growing, you're being built up in the faith, and you're being built up in Jesus himself. Verse 9, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells. This picture that in Christ, God is complete. It is, he is fully God, past, present, and future. Verse 10, in him you have been made complete. And then today we see in him you are also circumcised. And if there was sound effects, you'd hear like that record screeching, you know, like like, uh, if I was a DJ rapper, I could do the spinning stuff or whatever, however they do it. Should have asked Debbie to do that. I didn't know she was going to be coming up rapping this morning. So it's like, no, I knew she was coming. She told me. Um, But like that screeching sound, like in him I was circumcised, like... This seems a little bit odd. Like, when did this happen? I don't remember this. I mean, I don't, I don't remember being circumcised by Christ. Uh, do you guys remember this? Or is it just me? Like, so this is kind of like a... In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when you see words repeat in the Bible, it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of the context. This word circumcision comes up multiple times. So, of course, I've got to deal with what is circumcision, which I don't, I'm just going to go off the assumption that most people know it's a removal of the foreskin, and it's done by hand. Um, but this says without hands. So he must be speaking about something different than the traditional understanding of circumcision, which God gave to Israel as a sign so that they would be sort of weirdos, from the rest of the people. It was, a, it, it was something to demonstrate that Israel was different from the other peoples and that they were set apart by God for a specific purpose. And circumcision was one of the things that they were commanded to do to demonstrate this. But this says without hands. So we're, it doesn't seem that we're talking about physical circumcision. So when we look at this again, and in him, so in Christ You, those in Colossae who are reading, those of us who have received Christ as their Savior, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So I just want to kind of, you know, normally we read about circumcision. We think it's normally limited to one gender. But now in the circumcision that we're speaking of, this is without hands. So it's not limited to gender. Everybody here has the potential and the command I don't know if it's a command. If you're in Christ, you should have received this circumcision, that you have received this circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
And so this is a really hard phrase to understand. If you, I'm not even going to bore you with all the different options. If you want to go exploring, you, I, you know, I'll let you go borrow my commentaries just for long enough because I still need them for next week. But, uh, but you can read all of the different things trying to understand what this circumcision of Christ is. Like, are we talking about when Jesus was a little, like when he was a little boy, because Jesus was a Jew, so at eight days old, he was circumcised. So are we saying, is Paul saying that when Jesus was circumcised at the, on the eighth day, that somehow there was some effective thing that was transferred to us? I don't know, that's not, uh, that's not what we're talking about. The vast majority of people, where they end up in understanding what we're talking about when we're referring to the circumcision of Christ, it's dealing with like the destruction of flesh. And the context, as we'll look at the context, will show us that what he is talking about is Jesus on the cross dying. That as Jesus was nailed to the cross, his flesh was being destroyed for a purpose. And he's going to immediately, there's no period in your Bibles. It, he immediately moves from circumcision to baptism. This, uh, this picture of the Christian life that we do as a practice today, that we are baptized in order to demonstrate what's happened inwardly. Um, and so he kind of is tr- trying to make the point of spiritual circumcision, which actually isn't a a new concept in the Bible. This isn't even a New Testament concept. So spiritual baptism is the circumcision of the heart, that when you encounter God, you repent, you have a relationship with him, you're transformed by the Spirit. Something happens within you where a new nature is born. And the Bible refers to this as a circumcision of the heart. We first read about this back in Deuteronomy. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 this is like going back to the days of like when circumcision is like this new thing. And we read there, so circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. So this is dealing with like the individual that walks with God. There's supposed to be this sort of this humility and love for God that, that is born out of the heart that God does this transformation within you. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 through 26 there's sort of this warning that's given. And if you've been doing the Bible reading, you might remember this, but probably not because it's like we're flying through all the prophets and maybe it's just me. I have a hard time remembering everything. But in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are, de- de- Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. So he says, Behold, the day is coming that those who are circumcised, so they're physically circumcised, but they're not spiritually circumcised. They're practicing the religion externally, but inwardly they have no relationship with God. I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all those inhabiting the desert who trim the hair on their temples, for all the nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. So he sees his people and he says, you're going through all of the religious motions. You're doing everything that's been commanded to you. You've even added to it. You're doing all of this very religious, pious stuff. But at the core who you are, you are not responding to a loving God who has been merciful and kind and loving to you. And he's upset about it. 
Paul in the New Testament writes in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So he's speaking of actual physical circumcision. He says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. And so Paul points out in Romans, this whole case of, like, if you want to be a follower of God, it's not about the religious works on the outside. It's about your inside being transformed because you've encountered a holy God. You've recognized your shortcomings, that you are a sinner And God is a holy God, and there's no way to align the two. And what it requires is that a sacrifice needed to be be made on your behalf. You cannot make it. Only the perfect God could make this sacrifice on behalf of you, and it was done in Christ. And when you've received Christ as your Savior, it utterly transforms you. Paul writes, if you'll turn with me over to Philippians, it's just a couple books uh, before Colossians. Actually, it's the book right before Colossians. So in Philippians chapter 3, this is a, this is a, a section that I, I feel like I've beat this one into the ground, especially going through Colossians. But, but the reality is religion is such a problem for people. Our whole economy is based on, like, if I do something for you, you owe me something, like money or a favor or something. We don't operate on the, the, the idea of grace and pouring out and investing in others just because. And so this is ongoing. We think, well, God, we don't deal with people like this. So God certainly wants us to, to do stuff in order to love us. And if we don't perform, then God's going to think of us less. And so Paul continually writes about this. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. He's been dealing with this over and over and over again. Paul spent his life defending grace, and people kept coming in his wake and trying to destroy grace. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. The false circumcision, this is like a tongue twister, uh, false circumcision are those individuals that came through behind Paul and say, it's just not about grace alone. That's ridiculous. What kind of God would just like forgive people like that haven't changed or done anything? The first step is to get circumcised and then get circumcised and then you kind of become Jewish and then God will love you and forgive you. And so he calls them the false circumcision. Verse three says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He goes on to say that if, if he compared himself against other humans, like Paul could put confidence in the flesh. Anybody that thought they could perform better than him religiously, he would say, I did better than them. And he lists his whole pedigree. He talks about where he came from. And he ultimately says all the pedigree, all of his credentialing, everything that he has and accomplished on the Jewish side of the house he says it's dung. He, he literally, it's a word that I can't use in church, but I can say manure because we're in Valley Center. Like, it's, it's garbage. It's, it's, it's worthless. 
And so he's addressing these Judaizers who are going through and saying that your relationship with God is based on your works, your performance. And Paul is saying, no, your relationship with God is based on his mercy, his kindness towards us. He is a forgiving God. He's made restitution for us. Like, I always struggle with, like, how much to say, like, but between this week and next week, the, the things that Paul writes about are things that, like, hit really close to home for me as, as, a, as a young believer. Uh, because any time I mention my background, it certainly, like, it pushes back on, on some people because of their, their family or their own background and their, like, the defensiveness. But, but like, like, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And so when I come to the Bible and I read about God's grace and the things that it pushes back, it pushes back against, like, everything that I understood about God as a kid because I was conditioned to, to think that if I wanted to be good with God, then I needed to do these things. The sacraments, literally, I think there are nine sacraments. I'm, I've, I've been away for a long time. But I was a little kid that came, you know, down the aisle. Like, I love First Communion because that was my first access to wine, legally. <laughs> like, a lot of people didn't like to, like, go to the wine station. Like, I get the wafer station. Then there was a the wine station over there. And, like, you know, this is, like, pre-COVID. And people were like, oh, I don't want to drink after something. I'm like, bring it on. You know, bring it on, Padre. And, I, you know, they'd always take the cup away from me. And... uh I remember coming down and like I had a priest one time, like, like the wafers, like a very serious thing in the Catholic Church, but like he would hand me a handful of wafers and say, you need a whole lot of these, brother. <laughs> and, and so I was like, I was like from this young age, I was told like, your performance isn't good enough. And you need to do these things if you want to be okay with God. And so thus there was like this, you know, like... I have like guilty conscience and like always thinking like I'm not good enough. Like just like the whole, like my whole adult, like Christian life has been spent trying to undo so much of this and understanding grace because grace is just an unfathomable thing that God loves us because he created us. But we want to add to it. They wanted to add to it. And next week there's going to be this whole thing about Paul's going to go hard against them who have added it. And when I read about all the adding it, it takes me back to my youth of all the stuff that I was supposed to do in order to get right with God. And ultimately through that stuff, I basically turned away from God and said, I don't want to deal with God. But it was man's teaching about God that was so different from the Bible that, that created that in me. And so when we talk about the this circumcision that he's talking about here where he leads into baptism, he's talking about within us the transformation of our hearts, this heart surgery that we have when we experience the living God and his mercy and his grace. He plucks out our sinful heart and he gives us a new heart. And we're told that we become new creations. If you want to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can. This is a really um, powerful section. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer because we've been spiritually circumcised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that while we, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're new creatures. The old things have gone, the new have come. I love this image. I doubt you can read all of it. But this picture of the cross, like across the cross beam, it's the, la- it's the verse of 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. I would venture to say, and I kind of reached a conclusion, that this is the circumcision of Christ. This is the mutilation of his flesh. And it says pride, lust, malice, deceit, gossip, drug use, something I can't read, gluttony, murder, apathy, divorce, racism, lying, slander, laziness, fear of men, drunkenness, churchianity, I love that one, lack of love, cowardice, porn, I can read that one really clearly, hypocrisy, hate, I can see that one really clearly, vulgarity, abortion, irreverence, empty religion, greed, adultery, envy, something I can't read, cockiness, idolatry, addiction, something, a whole bunch of stuff I can't read, I don't pass the eye, then I can see doubt, Self-piety, deism, rage. Worshiping the self over God. That's our sin that was placed upon him. The circumcision of Christ. And from this, Paul seamlessly, like with a semicolon in my Bible, transitions right to baptism. Verse 12, having been buried with him, In baptism, which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So he transitioned, he moves from circumcision of Christ to in him baptism. He goes from this old ordinance of the Old Testament of circumcision, which isn't in effect anymore, to this new ordinance that we still celebrate in the church today, and that's baptism and also the Lord's Supper. So he transitions us to what do Christians do after their faith in Christ? They're baptized. We also, if you've noticed, if you're like a word person as you read your Bible, you should be. He's gone from a whole bunch of, whole bu- I don't know, a bunch, yeah, a whole bunch of in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. Now, and for the rest of today's passage, he says, with him. With him. Huge shift in one word. So from in him to with him, which is super interesting, with him in baptism. 
How are we with him in baptism? In which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so now when we talk about baptism, there's two baptisms in particular that we need to talk of. The first is the spirit baptism. The spirit baptism is simply as that moment in which you trusted in Christ as your Savior. In that moment when you believed, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that we were sealed in the Spirit. It's this down payment, this guarantee that at that moment of belief, of faith, God has sealed you until the day of redemption, that you're secure, not in your own works. You weren't saved by your works. You're not unsaved by your works. You're saved and you stand complete in Christ based on his work on the cross. He paid for your sins, past, present, and future. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that by the spirit of God, you move from, the, from Adam, the, the, spirit, the body of sin and death and darkness and separation from God, that in faith, you're transferred into the body of Christ. So water baptism, it's like my wedding ring. It's, it doesn't make me, this isn't even my wedding ring. This is like one of those ones that tears off for safety. So my other wedding ring is somewhere. Anna's here. It's, I know where it is. It's like, <laughs> but just because I'm not wearing my wedding ring, I'm still married, right? Like, it's just a picture. Like, back in 2002, we made vows before God. That's when we were, like, married. They were married long before me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's good. I, I think that's a good word. Um, and so baptism is this picture of what happened to us in that moment of conversion. Baptism, while significant, it just demonstrates what, what happened to you within. That moment when you were circumcised, your heart was circumcised, that you were transformed. And as you come to faith in Christ and you receive the Spirit of God, that over some time, Maybe instantly, suddenly, the way you view the world is different. The things you used to do no longer bring satisfaction, or you feel extremely convicted by the the way you used to live. And so in baptism, water baptism, being submersed, we're told that we're buried with Christ, that we are saying, my life is no longer mine, that when Christ went to the cross and he was nailed there because of my sin, and he went to the grave for three days, I am placing myself with him because he placed himself in my spot that he was my substitute and he went down and then he raised again. And so when we come up from the water, it's this picture of new life that we have in Christ. It's The picture of what Jesus did on the cross is overwhelming. This is not something that we like, can really grasp overnight. It's something that we can spend the whole of our lives grappling with. Some time ago, Jeremiah and I found ourselves at a, at a conference. And the speaker said something that got Jeremiah fired up. And I wasn't going to say anything, but I was like super glad that he was all fired up. But the guy was his pastor who wasn't really a pastor anymore. And he said, oh... You know, we all got the gospel figured out. We can just move on to like steps two, three, four. Like, and he started talking about how, like, well, when he was a pastor, 
on Easter, he even just stopped preaching on that on the cross because it's just old news and everybody gets it and we don't need to like go. And I was like, what are you saying? The cross is everything. So I'm just sitting there going. And then later in the day, I got a text from Jeremiah, like he was clearly fired up. And then I heard from Heidi saying, what did you take Josh or Jeremiah too? Like he is super fired up. And it was like, like, yeah, me too. It's like, I can't believe the guy said that. Because the cross is something that we could dwell upon the mystery of what Jesus has done for us for the rest of our lives, and it should never grow boring. If you get bored with that, you don't understand how bad of a sinner you actually are. But when you understand his grace and his mercy, it just drops us to our knees in worship. And if he wasn't clear here in verse 13, he continues, and he says, when you were dead in your transgressions, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It says, when we were spiritually dead, he made us alive. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Like We're dead. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. I know I've used this illustration a bunch, and a bunch of you can probably guess what I'm going to talk about right now. But it was this picture of like the gospel that was powerful, and it came through the deadliest catch. You know, the fishing show out of the Bering Sea. Yeah, yeah. Like, and Mike Rowe, you know, the dirty jobs voice. Um, guy, Mike Rowe? Is that what I said? Dirty jobs. Yeah, his voice. I think we're talking about the same guy. He, uh, this guy, like, falls off the boat. Like, they weren't even, like, fishing yet. They were coming out of the harbor, so he didn't have his safety suit. And they were like, three minutes, he's dead. He's a dead man in the water unless, you know, like he's got his, I don't have the voice. And so this whole video is like unfolding. And I think they're only showing it because there was a happy ending. But there happened to be a second boat coming out of the harbor. And the second boat, they're like, we see him. The, the first boat's like, we can't turn around in three minutes to get to the guy. So he's, he's going to die unless we get there. And the second boat's like, no, no, I got a good line on him. They go out, they send him a life ring. The guy grabs a life ring and they bring him in. He's like shivering, like uh, like I've seen very few cases of shivering like this, and I've seen a lot of shivering in my former life. And like uh, the guy was very hypothermic, and and he was just super grateful. And I'm like, what a picture! And we can get into like the theological wrestling match over this because it goes beyond like what we can like like this like he made you alive that God has done everything for you to be right with him. But somehow in his sovereignty, there's like this freedom for us to respond. And so then theologians get in this big like arguing match, which is really like foolish to me. When I look at this picture that's like dead in the water, the picture is that God, God or the guys throw him a life ring. 
whatever happens at this point, the guy in the water doesn't save himself. He has a ring and he can respond or not respond to the ring. God throws us a life ring in the cross and says, here's your way to be unburdened with your sin. Standard response is, no, I don't, want, I don't believe, I don't want any part of that. Okay, you're a goner. The other option is you can respond and you can grab onto the life ring. That responding, grabbing, that's not a work. That's, that's responding to what God has done. The one thing I noticed when they pulled the guy in the boat, he didn't say, oh, I saved myself. It was all because I held on to the, no, 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 no. Somehow in God's seeing, he wants there to be the capacity for us to love him or not to love him, to respond or not to respond. We're not robots. And so we're spiritually dead. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. But God. In this picture, he canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostility towards us. He is taken out of the way. He has nailed it to the cross. I made the mistake of Googling debt. And of course, the U.S. national debt goes on, and that's like overwhelming, so I didn't want to bring that up here. So my mind went a different direction. How many of you guys have seen the show Undercover Boss? Has anybody seen Undercover Boss? Some of you guys have seen Undercover Boss? That show will make you cry. Uh, this show is from all of these big companies where they don't know who like the CEO is. Like They can't identify him on paper or her on paper. The CEO takes on the image of like a normal worker and they come up with some story so the person can go undercover and work with the employees. And so they go around various things and they're trying to see what's going wrong or right in their company so that they can correct it because they know if they come in a CEO, they're not going to get the true story. So they come in and they try for the jobs and they, they, but they get to meet the people. And in every show, well, every show that I've seen, there's always like an individual who you learn like some hard thing about them. Like their mom has been dying of cancer or died of cancer and they're raising their siblings and they don't have a car and they have this debt and they're like doing everything they can do to get back and to and from work and just like an excellent employee. And then at the end of the show, they come in to meet the CEO. They think they're coming in to evaluate that person. And then they're like, man, your voice sounds familiar. And they're like, I was that person. And then that, like, inevitably, there's always, like, one recipient of, like, when I was with you, you were such a model. And I learned about your debt and your desires to go to school and all that you're doing. And we're going to, like, we're going to give you a new car. We're going to pay off all your debt. We're going to give you $25,000 or whatever to go to school. And then sometimes when they're a franchise, we're like, we're going to waive the $100,000 fee to become a franchisee. And you just see this individual, like, sorry, like, like collapsing before them. And almost inevitably, what they, they do is they're like, am I allowed to hug you? And then they give the, it's like super powerful. And in that image, this, he has taken it out of the way. He's canceled. It means to blot out, to remove, to exchange, to remove the cancel of your, the debt that is due you. It's taken away. And so our response should be just total falling on our faces in worship and humility for what God has done. 
He has paid our debt in full. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what he has done. Verse 15, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And so there's this picture of all of the individuals that have gone against God, steering people astray, deluding them, the people who are trying to take these individuals into captivity. He has this picture of when a nation was conquered in battle and how they were sort of paraded in shame. And it's kind of we have to remember back to Colossians 1.16 where it says, By him all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's saying, don't be taken captive by these guys that don't have any power. God has the power. And God is the one who established the plan to get right with him, namely, that his son would pay the price for you. There is nothing for you to do. And today as we wrap up with taking the Lord's Supper, if you have it, you can begin working on your juice box. We take communion. The Bible says to do it as, as often as you take it. So there's no set schedule. You can do it every Sunday. You could do it every day. We choose, we choose to do it here sort of as the Spirit leads. People have commented, like, I can't figure out the routine that we do communion. And I'm like, I haven't figured it out either. So I'm just, we kind of do it when the text presents itself. And so when we look at this passage, the, the cross is, is front and center. And so communion is this, this symbol. It's a, it's a memorial service. This, we do not hold that this is actually the... Whoa, whoa, whew. If I was a cat, that would have been bad. <sighs> this is just a symbol. These little wafers take me back to my childhood too because we used to do the crackers that we passed up, and now we have the little wafers. Um, it's just a symbol. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbolic picture. This isn't actually the body of Christ. <clears throat> but we, we come to this to reflect on what God has done for us. And John MacArthur on this passage said this, the death of Christ brings transformation, pardon, and victory. That adds up to complete salvation with complete forgiveness and triumph. No wonder Paul said, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So when we come to communion, the passages that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a passage there that sort of lays out the Lord's Supper with with clarity that we don't see uh, elsewhere in the Bible. At the very end of it, it talks about togetherness, that that this is when the church is gathered, is when we're to participate with communion. It's not really something to do individually. It's something that when the church gathers together, that we do, we're to wait for one another. In verses 27 through 32 of, of Corinthians, it says that it's a time for us to, to confess and to get right with God. Um, I like what Alistair Begg says a lot. He says that for the Christian, sin no longer reigns, like to reign and to rule, but it still remains. And so as Christians, we're simply saved sinners. We're not sinless. 
And so communion is this time when it brings us back to the, the basics, back to the thing that we're to dwell upon for all the days of our life is that Christ died for you. Christ died for me. And so we take the time and we reflect, we confess, we restore our relationship with God. We're to remember what Jesus did for us, this wafer, his broken body, Christ's circumcision. His flesh was totally and completely mutilated because of our sin. He was our substitute. He stood in our place. And then we take the juice to remind us of the new covenant, this everlasting covenant that we have in Christ, that as his blood was shed, it was once and for all and sufficient. He doesn't die over and over and over again. He died once. It was complete to make the the payment of the penalty that was due us. And then as we take communion, it's a reminder of our commission that we're to go therefore and to proclaim the good news of Christ. And with that, I'm going to pray and we'll take communion. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for this reminder in the scripture, Lord, that, uh, that it's all about Jesus and what he did for us. We thank you that his death on the cross was sufficient and we come before you and we humble ourselves, Lord, asking that you would show us, Lord, the sin in our life, the idols, the things that are holding us back from truly walking with you. We thank you for the forgiveness in Christ. We thank you that as your children, you discipline us and convict us and, and nudge us along so that we would grow in our Christ-likeness. We thank you for this process of sanctification in our life. Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you uh, throughout the day. We pray that you would help us to go about this world as we live our lives, to see others through your eyes, uh, that we would truly be transformed from the inside out. We thank you again, God, for all that you've done on our behalf. We thank you for the grace which has changed us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.